Before we look into God's word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this opportunity we have in this afternoon hour now to gather our hearts and thoughts around thy word. It's hard to believe that just a few hours plain right away, the believers are unable to gather because of the danger and war, and yet here we sit in comfort and ease in a good land with uh, very little to worry about. Heavenly Father, we want to lift them up in prayer unto thee now, knowing that thou art the same God here as over there. Thou dost hold all things in thy hands, and even the kings of this earth and their, their thoughts and motives can be run like channels of water, thy word says. And so even now, Heavenly Father, we want to pray for the safekeeping of the brethren over there. We want to pray that thy word continues to go forth and that those in that area of the world who have had everything shaken would realize that there is one thing that cannot be shaken, and that is the, the head of the corner, the rock that is Jesus Christ. If they will build on him, they never need be shaken again. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as Brother Angelo prayed this morning, um, my thoughts turned to a, a passage of Scripture uh, found in Colossians. If you'll turn with me to Colossians, the third chapter. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall he also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. I've read 11 verses. At the close of this morning's service, Brother Edmund spoke passionately about the necessity of being disconnected or severed from the things of this world. That's wise and practical advice. In fact, it's so practical and so um, effective 
that there are even other areas, uh, other religions in this world, namely Buddhism, that advocate this because they see the power of disconnection from some of the things in this world. It produces a tranquility, a peace. True. We're not denying it. But that's only half the picture. It is true that by severing your things, yourself from the things of this world, you can produce a, a state in which very little affects you, very little shakes you. But it's not enough. The real key is found in this scripture that we that we read together. First Apostle Paul advises us that if we are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Why? Does that sound like pie in the sky by and by? Or is there something more there? If he didn't get it from the first verse, he says again in the second, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And that's where the Buddhists have got to. They've arrived at the point where they say, if you can separate yourself, sever yourself from any kind of earthly attachment, you can attain a, a sense of peace, a sense of tranquility. But there's more. There's more. God never intended for us to feel nothing, to be uh, disconnected and numb to our circumstances, but rather to be alive in him. So listen what the third verse says. And really, a whole sermon could be preached just on this third verse. For ye are dead. If we are separated from the things of this world, we are indeed dead to them. Unresponsive. Corpse-like. In that sense. A dead man feels nothing. But there's more. And your life... And your life is hid with Christ in God. Are you looking for safety? Are you looking for safety? Many in this world are. This is the safest place. With Christ in God. Why? Why with Christ? Because he died first. His death marked a separation from anything that could harm us. When we join him in death, we cease to be affected by the circumstances of this world. If you don't believe me, read Tielemann von Bratz, The Martyr's Mirror. I defy you to find people that could take that kind of treatment in the way that they did, who have not been dead to the things of this world. Impossible. But not just dead to the things in this world, there's more. 
See, to deny uh, feeling and to produce tranquility or peace because of that, as the Buddhists would advocate, is only half the story. That denies the other part of your being. We know. We know that we are made also for joy. We have a sense that we're not made for pain. Pain is, is something unpleasant, something that we wish to flee, to avoid at all cost. But we do know that we're also made for joy. And fleeing pain or removing pain is not joy. Think about that for a minute. The key does not lie in removing that, that which is unpleasant. The dentist doesn't simply freeze the spot where the cavity is and send you home. It needs to be dealt with. Why? So you can regain the sensation? So you can enjoy food again? Ever tried to eat with freezing in your mouth? Not very pleasant, is it? The side of your tongue feels all swollen. You can't really taste things in the way that you could before. We, we, we know, we, we sense that we are not made for pain. And we know that we're capable of joy. And yet, so much in this world is pain. And joy is so fleeting. So what's the answer? For your life is hid with Christ in God. Can you find a place more secure than that? The one who died, that death would be, lose its sting? To have it with him in God, kept securely where no one can touch it? That's safety. That's security. In fact, that's even better than all those things. It's hope and joy. It's something to look forward to. Not just an insurance policy if things go bad. This is why it was so important that Christ defeat death on our behalf. Because in doing that, he removed forever from the Christian the fear of death. And even the fear of pain. Have you ever thought about the Negro spirituals that we sometimes sing? I don't even know if it's politically correct to call it that anymore, but I'll continue using that word. Beautiful, heart-rending songs birthed out of a life of pain and unfairness. But with hope and joy, there's another day a coming I know I know. In heaven, I'm going to have shoes. And we kind of smile at things like that, don't we? But when you've never had those things, when your life has been only pain and misery, what are the things you look forward to? I once heard a little poetic line, and I, one of these days I'm going to have to commit it to memory because I've used it before. It talks about those composers of those simple songs that the slaves used to sing. It says, you've forgotten black bards of yesteryear. To you belongs this crown. You took a race and sang them from gods of stone and wood to Christ. 
What security did they have? What did they have to look forward to? Do you realize that those same mistreated, abused, displaced African slaves actually took up the religion of their oppressors? Do you realize how powerful Christ is? Try that on for size, social justice warrior who thinks everything is about power. Think about it. The slave being oppressed by the white landowner. I, I heard it said that they would allow the slaves chapel on Sundays when they were in church. They had a break from their labors. And of course, the favorite passage was slaves be obedient to your masters. Can you imagine being preached that and yet concluding that this was a God of love that was calling to them? Amazing. That is the power of Christ. That is the security that Christ offers. That is the joy that even the slaves saw. Incredible. I, I, I stagger still to this day at that thought when I think about that. If others had treated me so poorly, would I have adopted their religion? Unthinkable. Unless Christ really was who he said he was. Son of God and Son of Man. Come in the flesh to right every wrong. And to offer us the thing that we needed most of all and desired most of all. Safety, peace, and joy. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. There was a story of a missionary, I don't remember his name, who had spent his life I think in Africa or the Far East. And after a life spent toiling for the Lord, was taking ship from the Far East back home. I think it was to America. Could have been to England though, of course. And as he was heading back home, he was reflecting on the many things that happened and the difficulties faced the loss, I think, of family members over there. And he arrived at the pier. And the ship pulled up, the gangplank was lowered, and a crowd and a brass band was there. Because on that ship there was a celebrity or some important figure. And the photographers and the press and the crowds were there to acclaim their arrival. And the man was coming home to no one. No one was there to meet him. And as he stood on the pier with his bags in his hands, he thought, was it worth it? What about all the sacrifice? Can no one, would no one bother to meet me here? And as he was at that low point, 
He heard a voice in his mind's ear that simply said, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And it will make every gala event that the world has ever seen pale by comparison. When the saints of the, of the Lord are welcomed home. The best is yet to come, brothers and sisters. The best is yet to come. That's why it's such a crime, such a sin, when we park here. We weren't made for this. We were made for much more. Our life, who we are, what we are, our vitality is hidden with Christ in God, and it's not displayed yet. The world doesn't see it yet. One day it will. Then we will also receive glory along with him. But not quite yet. Not quite yet. We can join our black brothers from 200 years ago, singing, there's a better day coming. I know, I know. That's why those simple songs still resonate today. That's why they move even comfortable middle-class white people that have no record of slavery in their background. Because the truth is universal. The Christ indeed died for the whole world. Those would like to focus on our differences down here, whether it be socioeconomic, linguistic, the amount of pigmentation in your skin, whatever it is, get it so wrong. You will never, ever produce unity by focusing on earthly trivial differences. It must be something bigger, something higher, something more noble. Martin Luther King figured that out. He thundered from the steps of the Washington Monument or the, the Lincoln Monument there in Washington, D.C. I look for the day where my children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That was his dream. But we have a bigger dream than that, even. We look for the day when we shall all be one in Christ and be glorified with him. That's something to peg your hopes on. So how do we get there? How do we indeed become dead to the things in this world? The Apostle Paul tells us, mortify, that simply means kill. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. The parts of you that touch the earth, if I give it my own translation. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. This is a lot of King James words that some of you may be struggling with a little bit. But I want you to notice that each one of these things is based on a wrong desire on something earthly. Do you see that? Fornication, sexual relationships with a person that's not yours that you have made no covenant with, that you're not bound to in marriage. Uncleanness, that's simply anything that's apart from God. That's the simplest definition I can give you. Inordinate affection, 
affection that is out of what, sh what is ordinary, what, sh what is proper. Binge watching some series on Netflix is inordinate affection, in case you're having trouble uh, contextualizing that. Spending hours and hours till the wee morning playing video games, that's inordinate affection. Any kind of addiction is an inordinate affection. It's out of place. See, Satan cannot create anything new. All he does is take a, a good and God-given appetite and blows it up out of proportion. Twists it, perverts it. Makes it into something all-consuming. That's it. That's the root of sin. He's created nothing new. He can't create. God is the source of all things. Evil concupiscence. That's, again, a twisted or perverted desire. Covetousness. Just simply desiring things that are not given to you. And we can dress it up in old glory and call it the American dream, but it's covetousness at the core. And any time you find yourself sacrificing the things of God to pursue the things of this world, this world, it's now idolatry. This is what it tells us. Which is idolatry? You're making your own God. Whether that God is a comfortable middle-class existence with a white picket fence, or whether it's to knock off whoever the current top billionaire is and take his place, it doesn't really matter. When you take your focus off of God, you're allowing things to live that should be dead. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. All of these desires, when twisted, become the root of sin. And sin must be punished by a righteous God. There isn't a way around that. A judge that overlooks evil is not a good judge. People would like to make God out to be some kind of sugar daddy that just gives them what they want. doesn't work like that. He's good. And if he's good, he's righteous. And if he's righteous, he needs to deal with sin. Of course, we all say, <laughs> yeah, I want you to deal with sin, God, just not mine. That guy over there, he's really bad. How many things have been said about Vladimir Putin in the last 72 hours? people wishing that he'd rot in hell or whatever. I think, well, yeah, but what about you? What does God say about you? We're, we're quick to push the other guy off the plank into eternal damnation, thinking he justly deserves it. But what about you? That's sobering. This is why we need Christ. when we turn the mirror to ourselves, when we're honest with ourselves, we realize that these things can very easily live within us and we need his help to mortify them. The good news is the Christian can be free from these things. For those of you that are outside of Christ who have not experienced what that, what that is like yet. The best living is Christian living.
The best experience is to know that you're in his will. The best experience is when you know you're walking with him and sin can't touch me anymore, as, this, as the song says. It's possible. That's the good news of the gospel. I think Christians sell the gospel far too short. The gospel of Jesus Christ is capable of saving you, not from hell, but from sin. From yourself. From your own evil desires. Of course, there's something on us as well, right? Mortify. You've been made aware of these things. You're alive now in Christ, where you see the dead rot creeping back in. Cut it off. Don't give it an inch. But it is possible. It is possible. In fact, the natural state of the Christian is to be sin-free. Do you realize that? Little Christ? How much sin was in Christ? Zero. Are we called to walk in his path, in his footsteps? Yes. Does he give us what we need to do that? Yes. Has anything been withheld from us? We're having a multi-part study on prayer. Read what Christ said. You've asked nothing up to this point in my name. Ask, you'll receive. You want victory over sin? Ask me. And then be prepared to mortify the deeds of your flesh. He'll give you the power. In fact, he'll give you his weapon. The Bible is also called the sword of the spirit. That's the spirit's sword in another language. The sword that the Holy Spirit of God uses, he gives to you. Think about it that way. Do you have what you need? Yes. So, if you aren't using it, whose fault is it? Mortify, therefore. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. These are the things that hit a little closer to home for me. I can say fornication, no problem. Idolatry, worshiping strange gods, no, that's not a fault. Wrath, oh. Malice, thinking evil thoughts of other people. Hmm, that one hits a little closer to home, doesn't it? But do you realize that the root of all of these things is not being dead to the things of this world? When we have frustrations with other people, why is that? We're simply not seeing things in a spiritual light. Do you remember what the early church prayed? We read that prayer just this past Wednesday. They said, which our leaders and Herod and all the people put to death, they did according to their will. How did that finish? As God had a beforehand appointed... Is that some kind of fatalism? No. They recognized God's hand in back of all these things. And so they didn't call down curses on the uh, leaders that would do such things to the apostles. What did they do? They prayed for boldness. Boldness. To continue speaking 
those things. They were indeed dead to the things of this world, but very much alive unto God in Christ. They were doing what Christ himself did when he was here. This is why Christ is such a mystery to the honest scholar of history. How could one man, preaching for three short years, produce such a ground-shaking change, a new religion based on his teachings in the, source, in the, in the space of three short years, without resulting, resorting to violence. How is that possible? Do you realize that the lives of Christ's disciples must have been completely consistent with Christ in order for that religion to be effective? That the things that the disciples were preaching and teaching had to sound and look like Christ? They had seen Christ. They saw he was a very public figure for three years. They saw the miracles. They heard him talk. The same temple guards that said, never man spake like this man. Then along comes this young deacon named Stephen and preaches with the same fire and authority that the Son of God said, had. And the realization was, this must be the same thing. We thought we killed him but he's still very much alive. Your life is hid with Christ in God. That has been the hope of the Christian ever since the first century and will continue as long as the Lord continues. That is the key. We need to live it. May the Lord add whatever was lacking. Amen.